Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Welcome back to Hour 2 here of Mornings Without Carmen Edition. It's Peter Kapsner filling in for today as Carmen is away attending uh, to her family, spending some time with them over the weekend, taking a, a long weekend to do just that. We, of course, miss her on the program, so appreciate all of the work that she does faithfully day in and day out to lead us in kingdom life through a variety of conversations and commentary. So delighted to be with you as well here as we start our day talking about our Savior Jesus, His Kingdom Life, as we work through the topics of the day. We love to hear from you. We've been hearing from you all morning, Ashley. It's been great to see the text coming in and continue to send them to 877-933-2484 as we talk about some of these second-hour topics. And in just a minute, we're going to talk with Paul Acey from PluggedIn.com about some of the controversy out of Disney related to the depiction of LGBTQ characters and, and how they've had to backpedal on some of the decisions they made recently. But Paul Perot. This last week, I had a chance to spend five days as part of what's called an intensive program and a Master's of Leadership class at Bethel uh, Seminary, which is a seminary just down the street from here where I, I teach uh, pastors of all stripes. I, I don't know how they let me do that uh, week in, week out, but, you know, clearly. Yeah, they, we wonder about yeah, that Yeah, I know, I know. It's a, I feel a bit like Leonardo DiCaprio and Catch Me If You Can, but it was so fun to, <laughs> to spend uh, that time with them. And, and uh, there are people from all stripes uh, uh, of ministry, people in megachurch life, people that are on the front lines of the Ukrainian war and just a lot of different ministry environments. And we talked about this arcing conversation of sexuality and, and where we are currently in today's world around these conversations like Disney with the depiction of gay and lesbian characters. And it's really understandable that we want to react to that specific situation. But sometimes our reaction has to be informed that this has been mm-hmm. an ongoing conversation that we just really haven't attended to maybe as much as we could have even over the last 60 years. And it, it was really fun with them to just go decade by decade these last uh, 60 years and try to note somewhat simplistically, but try to note some of the different changes that happened in the evolution of our sexual norms. And so, for example, in the 1960s, we had, for the first time, this public display of make love, not war in Mm -hmm. response to the Vietnam War. And that changed the conversation where the wonder and beauty of sexual union meant for the nuclear family began to be part of the public conversation and how that changed everything. And then the 70s led to the rise of divorce culture, where divorce went from 6% to 58% at its height in the 1970s. And that led to the loss of moral authority among parental shepherds in the 1980s, where I grew up. And I think every song and every film of that time in the 1980s was something about Mm -hmm. uh, sex. And, And then in the 1990s, we see the rise of premarital sexuality, the rise of Um, diseases that were so troubling. And so we moved into safe sex. And then in 2000, we had internet pornography. And you just see this thing go one step to the next, the next, the next. And I think we have this opportunity as believers, as church organizations, to just open up the conversation. And when we do, we're going to see that there's a lot of conversations that we've been missing. But it was really fun to be with them these five days 
and talk about some of these different things and see some hopefulness about the restoration of some healthy sexuality because it's a really difficult topic right now. And how do you get back to that? I mean, okay, oftentimes I feel, especially within Protestant circles, we lost sight of the creation, the natural order, creation, design, principles. We, we say, okay, the Bible says don't do this, so we don't do that, or at least that's what we're commanded. We don't know the why, right. and we don't see the underlying beauty of what was God's design, his created order. That's exactly right. Out of the 19th chapter of the book of Matthew, Jesus is talking a little bit about divorce with his disciples in that time. And he he makes this incredibly important statement that can help kids some first steps into what you just so aptly described is where do we start? What is the why? And as they're talking about when can we get divorced? What are the grounds for it? All of that. Jesus reminds them. He says, let's go back all the way to the beginning with one man, one woman, and the one flesh relationship that's described in Genesis 2. And for anyone who wants to get started in in that process of wondering what is the beauty, wonder, and power of sexual union, to study one flesh in the biblical text will really help us get an understanding of the beautiful covenant for which we're meant. And then that helps give shape to so many of these other conversations, including the one we're about to have with Paul Acey from PluggedIn.com as we talk through a little bit about what happened with Disney and the depiction of some of the gay and lesbian characters. So stay with us. More to come here on Mornings Without Carmen. Well, typically those horns mean that Adam Holtz is going to join us from PluggedIn.com. But uh, as the junior varsity is in the host chair this morning, filling in for Carmen, we also have fellow junior varsity member Paul Acey stepping in for Adam. Good morning, Paul. That's right. right. It's a big show of sub day. It is a but big. But we're, we're, we're fantastic. They will never, ever come back because we left them. Yeah, you know, Paul, I think our connection uh, is a little bit rough. We're, uh, Paul and I are going to reconnect over the phone here and, uh, in just a second because I know you've got such great material that uh, we want to talk through related to this Disney conversation. So we're going to reconnect with Paul here in just a moment again to preview the conversation coming up. We are going to talk a little bit about some of the controversy that's happening out of Disney. And, and Disney finds themselves in a really difficult circumstance because they have typically catered to more traditional family kinds of units. It's a family-friendly place to go. And they've marketed to uh, typically the nuclear family. And, and now they're feeling all this pressure to depict other versions of family that have made their way in society. And we have Paul back with us. And Paul, uh, it, it really is some hot water that Disney is in right now. I mean, it, it is bubbling up and it seemed to be backpedaling from a lot of different directions. You know, they are in a weird spot, right? Because we all know that the cultural shifts are, are, are all around us. And, and we know that Disney is really very attuned to who their audience is. Uh, so, so they're trying to figure out how to how to make it work. And right now, it seems like like they are backpedaling. They are moving into directions that probably a lot of Christians' families would be would be really discomforted for. I, I know that you've already talked about Lightyear and the uh, and the gay kiss that's a part of that. They originally cut that kiss out of the movie. Uh, they have reinstated it because of all the blowback that they received over their their stance on don't say gay. Uh, so you have that element within Pixar's newest, latest, much-anticipated movie. Um, and, and so that's, that's just one sign that we see that the culture is changing and Disney is changing with it. And, and I think that, that, that Christian parents just need to be aware of those changes. 
Yeah, you're so right. We and, and I think we need to start talking about it ahead of time. And part of the work that you do on PluggedIt.com that's so helpful is you, you get very specific with the scenes that are probably going to be the specific scenes to which we need to pay attention as parents before we even watch a movie with our, our with our children or maybe even preview the movie for them as well. And, and uh, I know that uh, some I, I watched The Eternals recently, for example, from the Marvel Universe. And of course, they had a a significant gay relationship in that movie. And it just somehow it helps to talk about it ahead of time to give our, our children a way to process that which they're seeing or to turn away or whatever we decide to do, because this isn't going away anytime soon. If it hadn't been light year, it would have been the next movie or the next movie that we would have seen depictions of all kinds of different forms of sexuality. That's absolutely right. I mean, this is this is the way the culture is going. And I think that, that one of our roles at Plugged In is to truly, really try to help parents uh, prepare for it. Obviously, you know, parents can decide how to engage with these issues any way they want. Uh, but but we plugged in. We really come from from that Christian point of view, and we try to give give that Christian centered uh, you know thought interpretation of the movies that we see. And and when I think about uh, the sexuality that we see in movies, you had a great rundown of how sexuality in the culture has changed over the decades. And and one thing that struck me as I was listening to you, Peter, was that sexuality has been sort of made synonymous with freedom, right? It's all about free to be me, free to be whoever I want to be, free to do whatever I want to do with the, these other people. Um, and, and I get the impulse. We are, we are in the United States. We're a free society. We treasure our freedom. But when we're Christians, in a way, we're not free. We're free from sin, but we are not ourselves. Uh, we do not belong to ourselves. We belong to God. And because of that, we, we submit to what he um, has in mind for us, the beautiful, glorious plan that he has in mind. And, and so when we sort of move aside from that and we say, we belong to ourselves, we can be anything we want, we can do anything that we want, we move away from that beautiful design that God had for us. You know, Paul, I think that's so well said, and in, in that this extolling of the freedoms that we have, it, what's kind of interesting about all of that is when you say to somebody, hey, you do you however you want to best do you, what we, I think what we underappreciate is that turns out at the end of the day to be quite an isolating statement. It, it really is, hey, you do you and I'll do me. We don't actually live in relationship. And Paul, I would suggest that what's at the heart of so much of this uh, sexual expression is simply de the desire to be seen. It's a desire for intimacy. There's such a profound loneliness that happens. I know my daughter's at a university right now. She was part of a drama club, and uh, she, out of maybe 12 people in the drama club, was the only person who was a, a straight female is how she uh, identified herself. There was so much blurring going on. But but what was at the heart of it was just this desire to be seen and loved. And Paul, I think even in our movies, and, and you probably see it way more than I do, that desire to be seen, we only interpret that then through some sort of sexual lens. We've lost the art of friendship. We've lost the art of community. We've lost the art of just regular relationships that do bring that intimacy and, and, that, and that relational aspect to our lives. And so people are searching for that. But through media, we really tend to only give them the lens of sexuality by which to understand themselves. I think that's absolutely right. I think that we lose sight. We tend to think of intimacy as one thing, 
physical intimacy. But when we talk about God's design, he means it to be so much more all-encompassing than that. And, and there are so many ways to, to find that intimacy, both with, with one another and with God. You know, and I think that, that, that in some ways, yes, physical intimacy is super important. You know, sex is a gift from God. Uh, we know this. We know that we're supposed to treasure it and honor it. Uh, but but oftentimes we miss the relationships behind it. And, and you see it all the time. As you say, in, in movies, we see it all the time. When I watch even teen-centric shows, television shows, uh, it, it's sort of a given that sleeping around is sort of part of the norm. It, it has really become normative within a lot of the stories that we hear in our culture. And that is not what God ever had in mind for us. He knows that when we're talking about physical intimacy, it goes along with all the other sorts of intimacy that he's always desired for us. And I think that, that, that we have lost sight of that as a culture. And that's, that can be not only really troubling from a Christian point of view, but I think really damaging for our society as a whole. Um, it's, it's, it's a much broader question than, than who to sleep with. I think that it just ties into so many aspects of who we are as, as God-created beings. I'm talking with Paul Acey this morning from PluggedIn.com about some of the controversy that's happening in Disney with uh, a gay kiss that takes shape in the new movie coming out called Lightyear. Paul, one more question on this topic. As much as we know this about the beauty and wonder of sexual union and its intention, there's something somehow more powerful than just talking about it. And that's when it appears on the screen somehow. And, and there's something about movies and something about stories and something about characters that we like or, or are rooting for. And so the power of what's depicted from a place like Disney tends to be much more powerful than just sort of the teaching that we can do for some reason. Is there room somewhere within Christian media, would you say, to begin to portray what healthy sexuality can look like? I think there is room, but it can be difficult to do, you know, because I think that, that within Christian media, uh, the Christian audience is its own special beast. Uh, and, and you have some requirements. Like, like if you talk too frankly about sexuality, uh, it can be difficult within sort of that Christian uh, sphere of entertainment. Um, you, need to be, you need to be careful is, is, is what it comes down to, because I, I think that there one of the things that, that Christian movies could do a lot better is be honest about our journeys and the world around us and speak frankly. But at the same time, Christian audiences expect these movies to reach a bar where they're sort of friendly for the whole family. We have to realize sometimes that, that, that some Christian movies may get a little bit more gritty than others, that they might not be suitable for the whole family because they're trying to deal with reality as it is, not necessarily as we hope it would be. And I think that there are some great stories that, that Christian movie makers, Christian storytellers can tell within that space. Yeah, so helpful. We'll leave that conversation there. Step away for a moment. When we come back, Paul, we'll change the topic to the Oscars. Frankly, I missed it altogether that the Oscars even happened. So I want to get your summary of that and some of your observations here uh, next on Mornings Without Carmen. The clown with his pants falling down or the dance 
That's a dream of romance or the scene where the villain is mean. That's entertainment. Now, amazing music again from Paul Perot. Welcome back to the program. We're chatting with Paul AC from PluggedIn.com. And Paul, I had absolutely no idea that the Oscars are forthcoming. This is quite the departure from when we used to hold Oscar parties, get dressed up as our favorite characters, and have some great appetizers and, and see who won these awards. I, I couldn't even tell you when it's taking place this year. <laughs> you know, it's taking place this Sunday, actually. So if you want to, that's the time to get dressed up in your tux, uh, Get ready to prepare your your acceptance speech. That is the big night. And, of course, it'll go on probably until Monday morning. So uh, you'll have plenty of time to catch it. I love it. Well, as opposed to what, however, the Oscars are presenting the best movies of the year, you have offered at PluggedIn.com some of the best movie award winners that you, that you would say. You wrote a great article uh, from, it was released on the 24th of March. So take us into some of the awards that you would at least give some of the movies and films and different media of the year. So this is actually one of our favorite times of year over at Plugged In because we get to argue about, you know, so often we talk about the movies that we disliked, right? We, we talk about the problems within a movie. We, we point out what's, what's the issue with particular movies. This is a time when we get to actually point out to things that we thought were really good. Uh, and, and we often have very spirited discussions within the Plugged In rooms uh, over what we, we found to be the best movies in four different categories. We, uh, we give awards for best movies for kids, uh, for teens, for adults, and the best Christian movie. Uh, so we go for four categories, and, and our discussions within uh, the team can get pretty spirited. Uh, so for kids, we actually chose a Disney movie. As we speak about Disney and Pixar, we chose a Disney movie called Encanto. Great movie. Oh, I love that movie. Oh, it was wonderful. It was, had some beautiful messages about family and about uh, how you fit in as an individual within that. I thought it, it did it so well and so beautifully, and the music was wonderful. Uh, I, I actually, I, you know, the Turning Red, which Pixar just released not too long ago, dealt with a lot of those same themes that Encanto did, but I thought Encanto just did a, such a better job with it. It, it became one of my very favorite movies of the year. Yeah, we just actually, uh, my, my two youngest boys were playing lightsabers in the basement this last week, and one of them had the lightsaber slipped out of their hand right into the TV set. So they went Kylo Ren on our TV set, and we had to replace <laughs> it. So the new TV came yesterday, and that's what we watched. We watched for about the first 40 minutes last night. We were with a friend that hadn't seen it before. And, you know, no movie is a perfect movie. We're not suggesting this is a biblical movie, no. but the themes within this movie of somebody who's been left out and left behind, but yet stays faithful and has courage in the midst of it, and plus the music is just outstanding. The music is beautiful. It really does deal with some great messages. It deals even with, I think, uh, anxiety and trying to deal with the pressures that people sometimes put on us. And sometimes those pressures come from family. Let's, let's just be honest. So just to find that union, to honor the family while still being your own self and not be crushed by sometimes the weight of expectations, it was beautiful. I love it. Um, so for teens, we chose Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, as, as some people may know, I'm a huge superhero fan. I do like my superhero movies and, and Spider-Man No Way Home was a really fascinating one, uh, in terms of, of its own messaging. It, it talked a lot about duty and sacrifice and all those things that, that you often find in superhero movies. But this one, I think went a step farther because instead of beating up the bad guys, Spider-Man actually was trying to save them and save them in almost a spiritual way. 
to move them into a place of, of light and of goodness. And, and I really appreciated that sort of flip of the script a little bit. I thought that that was a very strong, strong message. Yeah, certainly worth seeing. And with, I'm not going to give up the spoilers for people that haven't seen it, but there, there's quite a bit of universe gathering, shall we say, uh, in that movie. It's fabulous. <laughs> Paul, we have t- enough time for just one more comment on that. What was the best adult movie of the year insofar as you see it? best adult movie was massive. It's a very, very difficult movie, but very profound. It's about uh, two parents of, of a, who are, whose son was killed in a school shooting talking with the parents of the killer. Uh, difficult movie, but very strong. Obviously, some, some problems with it, some language issues, but man, it has a, has a really inspirational payoff at the end. Yeah, great stuff, Paul. We so appreciate the work that you do at PluggedIn.com. There's so many other topics that we could get to this morning. So much out in media. There does seem to be a reemergence of media as we're even coming out of COVID in a lot of ways as well. So lots to talk about and appreciate the work that you do and the faithfulness with which you write and how you empower us as parents and grandparents to think about what we're seeing here with our kids and our grandkids. Have a great weekend, Paul. Hey, you too. Thanks so much. We'll step away for just a moment, come back for some bottom of the hour commentary, as well as preview what's coming up in our last half of Hour 2 on Mornings with Carmen. So, Paul Perot, we ran out of time with Paul A.C. when he was going through some of the best Christian movies of the well, year. Well, no, best movies. Movies, yeah, yeah for the kids. And for, they're, for, they're, 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 yeah, they're yeah. plugged in movie awards. They, yeah, and it's so fun. I mean, it, it, for me, for my money, way better than the, the 19-hour marathon that tends to be the Oscars. <laughs> I appreciate the work that they do. But the one that we didn't get to, and uh, somebody texted in wondering about what the answer to this question was, is what was, drumroll please, the best Christian movie, according to PluggedIn.com? They selected the most reluctant convert, the untold story of C.S. Lewis. Well, I think that is a, a worthy winner, of course. I just, I find C.S. Lewis to be uh, such a reliable voice in, in within Christendom. He's somebody about whom it was said that he had the intellectual honesty to look at evidence and then allow his thinking and allow his spirit to go wherever that evidence of the kingdom would also go. He didn't stay so committed to one position that he couldn't see the breadth and the, and the width and the depth of, of God's kingdom. Of course, not a perfect man, uh, and none of us are perfect people, but boy, he sure brought a lot of wisdom to the table. Paul, there is one more movie that we should at least touch on that's coming out during this time of year, and that is, um, it's not necessarily a sequel, I suppose it is of sorts. It's, okay, you're it's talking Mel The Passion Gibson's of the Resurrection, Christ, Resurrection yeah. the, the, the sequel, it is a sequel it is, to indeed. the 2004, it's still in process, it's probably next year, Yeah, but yeah, there's been some news or articles around that we were hoping to talk to Paul Acey about, we just didn't get time to. So. Yeah, and so much there, and that Passion of the Christ, I still remember pretty vividly when it came out in 2004 just because of the violent depiction yeah. of Jesus on the cross. It took a lot of controversy. Yeah, I saw it once. Yeah. It was a great movie, but once was yeah, enough for me. Yeah, I want to see it. So I'd be curious how he depicts the resurrection. Of course, that is the heart of our faith. Our faith does not end on Good Friday with the reconciliation of God and people. It is that Easter Sunday empty tomb that fulfills the heart of the gospel, and that is now through the resurrection. The power of sin and death has been broken permanently. There is a new sheriff in town that brings the resurrection life to his people as we wait in the now and coming kingdom. Up next, we'll be joined by author Elizabeth Woodson. We'll talk about embracing your life and how do you deal when you have a gap between the expectations and hopes of your life with the realities of your life. So stay with us here on Mornings Without Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for today.
Welcome back to Mornings Without Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for this morning and delighted to be joined by author Elizabeth Woodson in the book Embrace Your Life. Good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning. Now, I'm not even sure what would have prompted you to write such a book, Elizabeth. I mean, nobody really has the kind of life where they have expectations and then those expectations don't get fulfilled. I mean, is this even relevant at all? You know, it's probably just for that one person (laughs) who has a problem. (laughs) Yeah, obviously. I mean, I'd be curious what kind of did prompt you to write this book. I'm sure you've seen uh, so many lives over the years. And I think all of us that just even live life in this in this broken world, we have understandable expectations and hopes and dreams and we shouldn't do away with those. But there's often a gap between what our deepest hopes are and what our life experience is. So tell us just a little bit broadly about the book. And the book is just an opportunity to provide some hope and to provide some light for people who are struggling and people who might be experiencing uh, really large issues like uh, long-term illness or financial difficulty or hardship in their marriage or just some small, like life is just disappointing. It just This isn't what they wanted, um, even if it's not something really big. And the question is, well, what do you do? How do you live with that? Because a lot of times the things that we carry don't go away overnight. And so the book is an attempt to give people really substantive answers, but also tools, pointing them towards scripture and pointing them towards spiritual disciplines to help them live every day and not just live as if they're surviving, but to thrive in the life that they have been given. Yeah, say more about that uh, in terms of consulting the scriptures or even specifically to the spiritual disciplines when you're talking about somebody who's struggling, trying to puzzle their way through the circumstances of their life. How how do they engage with on a practical daily basis the scriptures and or the spiritual disciplines and and what might even be those spiritual disciplines as well? Yeah, Um, I think some of the best... uh guides for the seasons in our life, whether they are good or hard, are the folks in scripture. And so one of the people that I gain inspiration from is Joshua. And Joshua is going through a really hard season. Um, When we pick his story up in Joshua chapter one, uh, the person that he has been serving with and serving under has died. Like Moses, uh, he walked with Moses for 40 years. He was part of the group that that Moses helped deliver out of Israel, Egypt, I'm sorry. And right at the moment in which Israel is supposed to take a hold of the promise that they have been given for generations, Moses dies. And so you just think about the humanity of that and him as a person and all of what death and grief do to us. In that same moment, you see God call him to continue to move forward in the life that he has given him and calls him to do that. And some really beautiful promises at the first few verses of uh, Joshua and just reminding Joshua of who he is um, in terms of who God is, but also reminding Joshua of his identity and purpose. And so when it comes to the spiritual disciplines that we can practice, it really is pulled from that passage in scripture. And the first place that you see God help Joshua stop is lament. Um, And that actually happens in the previous chapter in Deuteronomy 34, And lament is so powerful because it gives us something to do with our pain. And a lot of us push it down or try to ignore it, but scriptures give us something to do with it. And then you have other spiritual disciplines of remembrance and hope and faith um, and joy that really help us not just accidentally step into joy, but realize it's something we intentionally cultivate every day with our thoughts, our behaviors and actions. Yeah. Could you speak a bit more about lament as well? I was talking with a young woman not too long ago and and she was reflecting on the difficulties of her early life. And so she's still in her 20s, but went through a lot of profound pain and sorrow that 
will set you up for a, life, a lifetime of hopelessness, uh, potentially. And I asked her, I said, so where do you start if you want to begin to rebuild your own life, but more importantly, just the life of the church? Because so many people, I think, are struggling with that sense of hopelessness. And she said something that surprised me, Elizabeth. She said that you need to start with lament. You, ne- you need to start mm-hmm. with the idea that all of our hopes and dreams and wishes are not going to be fulfilled on this earth no matter what happens uh, because we do live in a broken world. And that doesn't make us hopeless. It just means uh, that it's realistic to say, of course, we're going to have unfulfilled hopes in this world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would agree wholeheartedly with what she said, uh, that lament allows us to acknowledge the limitations that we are under uh, because we live in a fallen world and it gives us something to do with them. Um, again, lament is not this static process. It's really dynamic that the Lord meets us there and meets us in our honesty. Um, sometimes I think Christians can believe we have to be, we have to make everything pretty, that we can't be honest with our emotion, especially specifically before the Lord. And what we see in scripture, this book of Psalms is full of a lot of Psalms of lament, a lot of examples of God's people saying, hey, God, this is not what I signed up for. Like you promised me things and I have not seen that. And they cry out to him. Um, But in the process of crying out to God, and we see David do this in Psalm 13, that we, and we're asking him for what we need, right? We don't go to God unless we believe that he can actually do something about our situation. And we might not be sure of what he's going to do, but lament helps us grieve and recognize and honor the pain, but also say, Lord, I need you to help me. Um, But lament also helps us reaffirm that God is faithful that God is sovereign, that God is uh, a God who will provide and who will deliver. And so we ask him to do what only he can do. And so lament is pregnant with hope. Um, It's a hope that God has not abandoned me and he is with me in my pain and he's going to do something. Now, I might not be sure of what that something is, but I have hope that he's not going to leave me in the situation in which I'm in. Mm, Chatting with Elizabeth Woodson, author of the book, Embrace Your Life. I highly recommend this book. It's a, a book that's really accessible, but has the depth and the richness to just help us work through our our missed expectations in this life. Elizabeth, lament is one tool that's part of our toolbox spiritually that God provides. Is there another tool besides scripture and lament that you would offer to people to engage with on a regular basis that will help work through these missed expectations? Yeah, I would encourage people to just go through a process of self-examination. That helps us be able to examine our expectations. And sometimes the expectations that we have aren't appropriate. Sometimes that what we've expected to happen in a particular situation, those expectations need to be adjusted or we just need a full clarity on what is going on. Again, because we just have habits that just mask our pain so quickly and uh, seemingly so easily, uh, but we know that those coping mechanisms are terribly insufficient um, for the life that God has given us. And then that's just the power of remembrance. Remembrance is a spiritual discipline that the people of God would do repeatedly. One, because it's so easy for us to forget and we forget the character of God. Like it, when in moments in which we're struggling, doubt and despair tend to be stronger influences of our decisions, the truth of who God is, because doubt and despair feel real. And sometimes the truth of who God is doesn't feel like it's real, but it is. And so by remembering the truth of God's character, um, that we are able to remember what is always true about our situation, even if our situation is not um, affirming that truth. And then we also remember who we are. You know, I think sometimes we forget uh, the identity and purpose that God has given us. We forget the things that God has given us, um, that longing can cloud our view 
And we forget that God has blessed us, that there are things that he has given us. There is goodness that is in front of us. And so remembrance helps us see those things um, and then walk forward in light of those things. Yeah. And people around us too, Elizabeth, they help us do that remembering process that you're talking about, right? Like to, to share these griefs and these mis- expectations with people around us, it can feel really vulnerable, but it's so important to, to share each other's burdens in this way. Oh, definitely. Um, the community that we have is so vital in keeping us strong and up and walking in the moments where we feel like we can't walk forward ourselves. Love it. We're going to step away for just a minute. When we come back, Elizabeth, I know you wanted to talk a lot about the hope in the midst of this. We, As real as we are with the pain and the sorrow and the tears, and we need to learn how to grieve deeply, uh, the hope that we also can profess and live in and walk in in the midst of this world is also real. So stay with us. We'll talk about the hope in the midst of missed expectations with author Elizabeth Woodson up next. It is 13 minutes before the top of the hour here on the 25th of March. We're talking with author Elizabeth Woodson here on Mornings with Carmen and Peter Kapsner filling in for today. And Elizabeth, before the break, we talked a lot about the pain and sorrow that is part of our journey of tears that is in this life. But equally true is a sense of hope, at least for people who are putting their trust in Jesus. They do get an actual hope. It's not a false hope. It's not a hope where you have to try to claim it and, and pretend it's part of your being. You actually begin to abide with hope. So tell us a little bit about that part of this journey. Yeah, hope is, like you said, is so fundamental to our walk as Christians, uh, followers of Jesus, um, because the entire story of the Bible tells us that God is in a work, doing a work of restoration for the entire world. And we see over and over and over again, the promises that he's made fulfilled. And so as Christians, we look forward to the day when Jesus returns. And when Jesus returns, we will live with him forever. Uh, in a world with no sin, no pain, no death, no brokenness. And that's a real hope that we hold on to and have as Christians. And that hope just fuels strength for us to live in this world. Um, It doesn't dismiss the pain that we have in this world. It doesn't mean that God isn't doing something in this present moment, but that future hope is really powerful. Um, It also tells us, and if God is doing something so strong for the future, that he's got to be doing something now that his work of restoration isn't just for what's coming, but is in the present moment because it has always been in the moments throughout history. And so I believe that that forward-facing hope also gives us a present hope to sustain us. Even when we might not have the specifics of what God is doing, we know that he's a faithful God who always answers his promises, who's always present with his people, who doesn't abandon his people. And so if those things have been true in the past, that they are also true in our present and always true for our future. Yeah, that was part of the discipline of the Israelites in the Old Testament is that they constantly wanted to remember and look backwards, as you said, that this is the practice of building Ebenezer stones, right? Where God is faithful. I don't I don't know what your spiritual journey is like. I just know for me, when God is faithful, I am grateful and, and genuinely grateful. But sometimes that gratefulness is only about five minutes and, and I forget so quickly. And so that practice of somehow memorializing something that God has done in your life to remember back that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Ruth, and Esther, and and Naomi, and all of the people about whom we read in the biblical text. And and that reminder of his faithfulness in the past keeps us moving within the hope of the future. Exactly. That part of Israel's practices, they just told the story. And that we would have, whether they are physical objects or whether they are just uh, journal entries, 
um, are just memories that we would be able to tell the story of God's faithfulness. And as we are telling it, be re-energized um, with a new fresh sense of hope because we remember the goodness of our God. Yeah, Elizabeth, too, with, with that hope in the future, I think some people, and I know I've caught myself in, in this place, I, I maintain a sense of hope that the circumstances of my life will change for the better, whatever it is that I'm praying about, and that that circumstance for the better will somehow happen in this life. And, and you say strong and persistent, and sometimes you wait and pray for years. But is there a piece of this puzzle in which we have to say, you know what, even if the hopes that I have aren't fulfilled in the next uh, months or years ahead, that we, we stay in that place with God, even if those expectations and circumstances don't change? Yeah, we do. Um, and that's a really hard thing for us to, to come to. You know, I always like to tell people that this process of embracing our life is a journey um, and that part of the journey is submitting our life to the Lord and saying, Lord, what you give me, I'm going to take and I'm going to steward the best I can, even if it the thing that is following me, this longing that is with me stays with me for a long time or forever. Um, and again, that's not something easy to point to come to, but it is this, this deep um, humility uh, or belief that we have as Christians that I'm going to take what God gives me. Um, because I trust his sovereignty. Um, I trust that he has given me in something in this place uh, that there's sometimes we can't see the goodness or we can't see what God is trying to do, but we can trust who he is um, and say, Lord, I'll take what you've given me with open hands and live the life that I have and not constantly focus on the things that you haven't given me or the life that I want and that I have not received. Yeah, I love that idea about embracing the life that you have. Uh, Paul Perot just put up a quote from a noted theologian here that says, occasionally weep deeply over the life you hoped would be, grieve those losses, and then wash your face and trust God and embrace the life you have. And that's actually the very end of the book without being a spoiler about it. But, uh, but the end of your book is embrace your life. So tell us a little bit more about what you mean by just being honest and embracing your life as it is. Yeah, I think sometimes people uh, will have a situation of longing um, and they believe that, okay, eventually it's going to go away and I'll never experience longing again. And the thing is, many times it does go away. Even after years and years and years, sometimes what we're dealing with disappears or it just reduces to a point where it's not as painful anymore. Um, but life just provides us with another uh, instance of longing because longing itself, uh, this gap between what we want and what we have is a part of our human condition in a fallen world. And so essential to us being able to walk through this world is us being able to handle longing itself. And so we will be presented with lots of different opportunities to deal with it from the world. Uh, as I talk to different people about scripture and about how to study the Bible, I tell them discipleship isn't this place of neutrality. You will be formed to do something with your pain. You'll be formed to find your hope or to feed fear or despair or doubt, or you can feed gratitude and hope and remembrance. Um, you will be given something to do to embrace your life. And the choice we have is to either do that, the lens of scripture and the lens of trusting the Lord, or through something else that is terribly insufficient. Yeah, I love it. Well, Elizabeth, we have time for one more question. And uh, you've said so much in terms of the different dimensions of your book. If somebody picked up your book today and finished reading it in a week or two or three, and they got to the other side, what would be your greatest hope about what their takeaways would be as part of that experience of reading this? Uh, my greatest hope, uh, one is that they would share it, uh, that they would share the message with someone, because I think we all know someone who is struggling, but that they would just show up for the day. 
that in the next moment after they've read the book and maybe they're feeling good and then they have another bad day, they would say to themselves, oh, I need to cultivate gratitude because Elizabeth talked about that in her book because it's a process of me cultivating joy. So let me remember three things that God has done today and say them to myself. So I'm able to intentionally step into this place of joy. I hope that they come to a place where they implement the tools that are given to them in the book. That's great stuff. Well, if people want to connect with you somehow uh, online, I know you're available. And also where can they pick up a copy of the book, Embrace Your Life? They can pick up a copy of the book anywhere books are sold. Um, So they can go to embraceyourlifebook.com. And there's a lot of different links for Amazon or Lifeway or christianbook.com. And then you can just keep up with me there as well. And I always ask uh, authors too, Elizabeth, knowing just the pragmatics that certain websites take certain amounts of money uh, for a commission sake, is there a preferred place you'd love to have people purchase the book? Um, Purchasing at Life at lifeway.com is great. I love that. Thanks so much for the time, Elizabeth, for the hopeful message that we can grieve in this life, but there is also hope in the midst of it. Have a great rest of the day and weekend ahead. Thank you. You too. We'll step away for just a moment and then come back and wrap up this show for the 25th of March. Sure was a lot in that conversation with Elizabeth Woodson to take away from that. And and just that combination that she offered of being realistic about what goes on in this world while at the same time having a different and and hope that it is transcendent in its origin, meaning that we can't drum it up, but God does provide a hope as we lean and trust in him in the midst of the circumstances. Paul, I think a lot of people resonate with that idea of, hey, I really did have some hopes, dreams, and, and, mm-hmm. and desires for this world, and yet they, they don't seem to be coming in the way that I would have hoped for, and yet there's still hope in that. And one thing she mentioned that kind of hit me was the idea that, okay, God still has a redemptive plan, and redemption happens because there's a, something broken. Right. And I, sometimes we need to realize that, but also, again, redemption plan. He, he's bringing about the kingdom, as you like to talk about, and so... Things are aiming that way. We got to remember that, um, even when it just seems so hard. It's, and been yeah. through our stuff, and that's one of the hopes I hold on to about that coming a kingdom. Yeah, it is, and and been thinking a lot lately and saying often, and it seems to be resonating not just with young people that I'm with, but people across all walks of life. And it certainly is something that I have been convicted about: is to remember that God's faithfulness is not evidenced by the circumstances of our day. God's faithfulness is evidence that he will never leave us despite the circumstances of our day. And his comfort and his presence and his shepherding uh, staff will give us comfort as we walk through uh, whatever the dark valleys might be and the great triumphs and hope of life. God will never leave us. That's where his faithfulness lies. Mm-hmm. I would also encourage people along with this interview, if you want to share that on social media, because we'll have it podcasted later at MyFaithRadio.com and on the Faith Radio app. Go back to Wednesday in the second hour, we talked with Eric Ortland, and he was talking about um, suffering wisely and well, looking at the looking at Job, and okay, it, it's hard to understand the reason why Job is suffering. Yeah. But and it seems so, you know, so out of out of anything. It, anyway, it, the whole point is, even though you're suffering, you know, trusting God in that situation and yeah. using it well. One of the hardest things that we can do, and what we can trust in at the end of the day, is that even if our tears don't get wiped away in this life, the great promise that we attend to is that final book in Revelation where it says, and now there will be no longer any curse. The king has returned and all of our tears will be wiped away. Continue to fix your eyes on Jesus today and over this weekend. Love the time with you and we will catch you next week on Mornings with Carmen. 
Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.